It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Redskins. Your daily Washington Redskins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We welcome you to a new episode of the Locked On Redskins podcast. We continue our crossover division by division week. Once again, focusing NFC East, NFC West, looking at some of the out of uh, division regular season matchups for the Washington Redskins. And of course, they'll meet up with the NFC West teams. That means the Los Angeles Rams. And, of course, we talked to Brian Peacock of the Locked on 49ers podcast and the Locked on NFL podcast, uh, which you can hear in our last episode. And, as well, Bo Brock, who we talked to earlier in the week, Locked on Cardinals. Today we talked to our buddy Corbin Smith from Locked on Seahawks and also Seahawk Maven, part of SI. So we have a good conversation coming up for you in just a moment. Guys, let me tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is where you want to go. BuiltBar.com, save $10 off your favorite variety, your favorite flavor, and your first box. Right now at BuiltBar.com. I did it easy. It just arrived the other day. I've got them getting cold in the refrigerator so the chocolate doesn't melt. Can't wait to dive on into the peanut butter brownie. Get yours today at BuiltBar.com. Here's Corbin Smith and myself talking a little Redskins Seahawks and whether or not we're actually going to have a season and training camp. Chris, we've seen what has happened to the sports world because of the coronavirus. All the sports right now are completely shut down. We're seeing some individual sports like UFC start to make some changes here so they can have their events. But uh, Major League Baseball, NBA still trying to figure out how they can move forward and bring back games. And that leads me into this discussion here with the NFL. It's been a very eventful day for a number of states trying to figure out how they're going to move forward with their stay-at-home orders, in particular California and Arizona. California already admitting they're going to be shut down through July, most likely. Arizona, later this week, says, pro sports are on. Let's do this. So two totally different approaches. And so that leads me to NFL training camp. Clearly, the NFL has plenty of time left on their side until training camp is supposed to start at the end of July, but they've made it clear team facilities won't reopen until all 32 can reopen, and this seems like it's a pretty sticky situation because every state's got different protocols right now. 
Absolutely. And the NFL, Corbin, has, has already said, you know, look, we're not letting people into, you know, one team or one organization or five organizations into a building and not have the rest of the league uh, do that. That's an unfair advantage. I know general managers and head coaches are worried about that. That's one problem. And how do obviously you let one team start training camp in wherever it might be, whether it be in Arizona or some other remote state location or whatever it might be, and then not allow other teams to obviously begin training camp. So everything, that's the problem with the NFL. That's the problem, quite honestly, with team sports is we're finding out in Major League Baseball, as we're finding out in the NHL and the NBA, is you have teams as opposed to individuals. I know NASCAR is going back this weekend, and yes, they have teams, but th there is some individuality to it. Of course, UFC went back last weekend. That's complete individuality. You don't have player unions to deal with. In the NFL, as we all know, especially at training camp, what do we have? We have 90 guys on a roster. How do you do that? I mean, you have the football element of it, and okay, that should be fine, but guys are going to be sweating on each other. Guys are going to be leaning on each other. Guys are going to be breathing on each other. But then how do you do the whole locker room thing where facilities are already smaller than they probably should be for a 90-man roster? I know the Redskins facilities absolutely aren't. How do you do that with hot tubs, cold tubs, ice baths, showers, workout rooms? I mean, these facilities are not built for – I guess the protocols that I think we're all going to have to deal with as a society and as a sports society, unless I'm wrong, maybe I'm missing something. And I think it's just one of those things where you and I can have concrete discussions here, but neither one of us is a scientist. Neither one of us is a doctor. We're not going to be the ones that are going to be making decisions on this kind of stuff. And this is all, you know, your analysis is just on the assumption that teams are going to be able to do their training camps at their own facilities. And that's really the big thing the NFL's got to be looking into now, even though we're 10 weeks away roughly from when training camps are supposed to begin. That means that's 10 weeks. It's two and a half months. It's going to go by pretty quickly. And so I've just used the Seahawks, for example, here. Seattle, they train in Renton at one of the suburbs of Seattle. And right now, Washington's still got a stay-at-home order that has been initiated. Now, they're trying to phase into reopening slowly. And if everything goes how the governor thinks it will go or hopes it will go, then by early July, there may be public gatherings that are 50 or more people. That's if everything goes perfectly as planned, which as we've seen, we don't know if that's going to happen or not. But that leaves to question if teams like the Seahawks, because of state rules, state guidelines, are not able to practice at their own facility, does the NFL allow those teams to go to nearby states that maybe have less strict guidelines. In the case of the Seahawks, maybe for, for a couple months or whatnot, they become the Idaho Seahawks or they end up playing in Montana. I mean, right. there are some other states have different guidelines. And I know the Redskins would be impacted by that too because the eastern side of the United States has been hit especially hard by the coronavirus. Yeah, and, and when you were bringing that up, you know, Idaho and, 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 and Montana, I mean, obviously there's college facilities there that you would think that could accommodate an NFL team, whether they could accommodate it well or not. That's up to the, of course, individual campus an individual facility, but I think at least you have a chance. Like if you go to Boise, Idaho, right? I don't think Boise State University is going to be playing um, based on everything that I've heard from Dr. Fauci and, and, and 
you know, it doesn't look like colleges are going to be starting on time in August like they normally would. So maybe that does free up some facilities in some of those states that you were talking about. The Redskins, you know, they could go to, there's a, a resort in West Virginia about four hours or so away from Washington, D.C., maybe about three and a half hours away from their normal facility that NFL teams like the Texans and the New Orleans Saints have used in, again, West Virginia, that is a palatial estate, a palatial resort. It's wonderful to practice there. So maybe they could go there. But again, I, I take you back to, you know, what I was kind of getting at is even if you find a location, say the Seahawks or the Redskins or 30 other NFL teams find locations, how then do we incorporate what normally is training camp, what normally is football. And this is something I didn't think enough about, if I'm being totally honest. I kept thinking, well, of course they're going to play the games because, well, the NFL is going to play the games because there's too much money to be lost in TV. And you don't need fans. You can play the games. Well, wait a second. How do we take care of 90 players? How do we take care of 53 players and then 10 on the practice squad? How do we take care of all these coaches and trainers and all the people that have to work hand in hand with these athletes to put on a football program, a football organization? These are some huge questions that still remain very unclear in my eyes. Yeah, and then one other thing I'm going to add, these players are going to leave the facility and yep. where do they stay? I mean, are you going to set up a team hotel where all the players are going to be quarantined that basically just live, breathe football? I mean, I guess it's possible, it's feasible, but then if you bring the families into the fold, you can't keep them inside the hotel all day long if they go out and they're exposed to the wrong person. So there are so many obstacles here, and I'm still an optimist. I believe that the leagues are going to find a way to make this work, but it's not going to be a conventional training camp. It is not going to be a conventional season and it might not start on time. They've set up the schedule accordingly where they can postpone the season for a month or they can even postpone it a little longer than that. And they've got windows to still get in a 12 or even 16 game season. So the league's got time. That's the one thing they've got on their side, but all the topics that we just discussed, those are things that these teams in the league are going to have to investigate, whether that means practicing somewhere else during training camp. Maybe you can go back to your team facility when the season starts. These timetables right now are just extremely unclear. None of us really know. When we come back for the second quarter, Chris and I are going to take a look at the Redskins. What's new with DC's team going into the 2020 season? Really, I could say it's most of the team is new, whether you're looking at the coaching staff and the players. But we're going to take a look at the Redskins heading into a new season. You're listening to Locked On Podcast Network. All right, guys, once again, it's Chris Russell here for our friends at Built Bar. That's right. We've been telling you about them for well over a week now, and they remain awesome, just like they were last week. Trust me on this, guys. The box just arrived. So we got a sample pack of 10 Built Bars, and I love peanut butter and chocolate. My daughter loves mint and chocolate, so I ordered a box of each after the variety pack of 10 came back and was gone in like two and a half days. So I ordered a box of each and here's what I did. I had no shipping and I saved $10 on my first order, just like you can by going to builtbar.com and using the promo code locked on. Trust me. It's easy. I did it. I, it worked and it got here in three days. Perfect. So here's the deal about a built bar. You combine the low calories high protein, 
low sugar, no crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bars, it's half the calories, seven times fewer the carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams. That's really important. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Podcast Network crossover series, NFC West, NFC East. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks, joined by Chris Russell of Locked On Redskins. Last year was another really tough season for the Redskins. They were breaking in a rookie quarterback, had injuries across the board. They were waving goodbye to their coach, Jay Gruden, brought in an interim for part of the season. But there's a lot of optimism in Landover right now with Ron Rivera coming to town. They've added some players in free agency. They've added some quality guys in the draft. Real quick, Chris, to get started, though, I want to talk about Alex Smith because – that special that was on ESPN, that was one of the most spectacular 45, 50-minute documentaries that I've seen. And just seeing what his leg looked like after all those surgeries and now seeing where he is at now, I just kind of want to get a pulse where, where you think Alex Smith is heading here. Do you think he's going to get an opportunity to return to the field? Where do you see him fitting in with the Redskins? Because they couldn't have been counting on him to return, but now he's out on the field throwing passes around. He's moving really well. I mean, it's it's a remarkable recovery. I mean, it's it's astronomical. I mean, I would tell you this, Corbin. All along, I've been told there's no chance. No chance he's coming back. You know, like they'll say there's a chance, but privately, everybody kind of understood that there was no chance. I no longer say that after watching the documentary, after watching the video that his wife shot on his 36th birthday uh, last week. Now, I would caution anyone, NFL fans, human beings, just people that understand what that dude's been through, obviously what a competitive warrior he is. Uh, but I would caution anyone that there's a huge difference between working out and drops and, and sprint rolls and bootlegs and all that without any trash at your feet, without anybody trying to tackle you, without anybody trying to go for your knees, your shin, your ankles, whatever. So there's a huge difference, right? That being said, I could now for the first time see possibly him coming back and, and, and trying this and getting some sort of clearance. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know the risk level involved. Uh, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but my understanding is, you know, from, from talking to Stefania Bell, um, from talking to people inside the Redskins organization, that he is going to be given every opportunity and he absolutely wants to come back. So I'd be very, very, very surprised if he doesn't find a doctor or they don't find a situation that allows Alex Smith to come back and potentially play again. Again, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be stunned in any sort of way to see Alex Smith back in a uniform and somehow, some way under center. 
And I don't think that's going to create any major drama if he comes back because this they've, they've given the team the keys now to Dwayne Haskins. But at the same time, if Alex Smith shows up at training camp and we have our normal training camp and he comes in and he's healthy, he's moving well, and that team really rallies behind him, that could create some issues with a young quarterback. Well, yeah, I'm glad you said it like that because I I don't know if I would say that they've given the keys to Dwayne Haskins. You know, Um, Ron Rivera has said a lot of the right things, but he's also said some curious things on and off the record and and really on the record. Like he refuses to say Dwayne Haskins is his starter. He refuses to say, I know that this guy is going to be a stud or a Hall of Famer or a Pro Bowl quarterback or anything like that. As a matter of fact, he said just the opposite. He said it's an open competition between – you know, um, he, I mean, they traded for Kyle Allen, who started 12 games for the Carolina Panthers last year, most of which Ron was the head coach still, uh, all of which uh, Scott Turner, the new offensive coordinator for the Redskins, then the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator last year for the Panthers. He was a part of that staff, of course, and he was there for all of Kyle Allen's starts. Uh, and then also you mentioned Alex Smith. And then on top of that, Ron hasn't even ruled out. And as a matter of fact, he said it a week and a half ago, a potential for Cam Newton to come here. I mean, so the Redskins, the Redskins have this jambalaya at quarterback where we don't know who the guy is going to be. We all think it's most likely to be Dwayne, but could it be Alex? Unlikely, but I can't rule it out. Certainly it could be Kyle Allen, who again started 12 games. And then the ultimate wild card would be if Dwayne isn't like making progress in terms of the the film room and all that stuff, the, the stuff we don't see the, in the meeting rooms and all that, they could easily on August 15th, if training camp kicks off in late July, they could easily say, hey, Cam, hello, beep, beep. You know, you know the system, come on in here. If he's willing to be a backup, which the report said he was, um, and I've kind of heard that he might be willing to in Washington because of Ron Rivera and the system, we could have that by the time the Redskins and the Seahawks meet up in, in mid-December. Man, that would be quite the conundrum there. If you bring in Cam Newton, you've got your first-round pick from a year ago in Dwayne Haskins, Ooh. and then Alex Smith comes in and says, hey, I'm healthy now. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it would be a good problem having a couple veterans right. like that, but that could be a really sticky situation for a young quarterback that's trying to develop and, and trying to win that locker room. And if you got those other two guys there, it certainly would be interesting. And again, competition is usually a good thing. The quarterback position can be the one spot, though, where that's not necessarily good. Now, let's just assume that Dwayne's going to be the guy. Or, heck, Alex Smith comes in and maybe he's incredible. And it's like, this guy had that amazing injury and he's back and he's playing well. We're going to give the offense to the veteran, whoever is under center for the Redskins. They made a few interesting additions in the draft. The Antonios coming to town. Antonio Gibson, their third-round pick, a receiver running back hybrid out of Memphis. Later, they got Antonio Golden-Gandy out of Liberty as well. So bringing in some weapons for whoever's going to be under center. What do you think of those two selections where those guys fit in right away for Ron Rivera's Redskins? So it's a, it's a really interesting fit on, on both. I, I guess the more traditional fit that I would say is Antonio Gandy-Golden is going to come in and he's going to battle probably Kelvin Harmon for the most amount of snaps and playing time. 
uh, at outside wide receiver opposite of Terry McLaurin with Steven Sims, who was an undrafted rookie who basically won the starting slot job last year uh, and really surprised some people, uh, assuming that he makes his ascension. You know, Gandy Golden is is not somebody that's going to blow you away with electric speed or anything like that. Obviously, he's really good at shielding 50-50 catches, contested balls. But I think he's got better speed than maybe he's clocked at or maybe people might think. Um, and, and everyone, I, I, you know, look, the, the level of competition at, at Liberty, look, I know, you know, they play one or two games against premier schools a year. Clearly, there's going to be a step up on the NFL level, right? I don't think anybody expects him to come in and just rack up a thousand yards or something like that in his rookie year. There's going to be an evolution, but I think he's better than Kelvin Harmon. I think he's faster than Kelvin Harmon. I think he's better than Kelvin Harmon. I think he's a better route runner. And that's not to say that Kelvin Harmon is not, who was a sixth round pick out of NC State last year. That's not to say Kelvin Harmon's not a good player, but I think they think Antonio Gandy-Golden is better. Now, as far as Antonio Gibson, and I'm trying to get – we lead the world in Antonio's on offense around here uh, in the nation's capital. I think this guy – I mean, look, they're comparing him to Christian McCaffrey. I think, Corbin, you and I know that comparisons at this time and draft evaluation get a little out of whack and a little out of rhythm. Let's not compare him to Christian McCaffrey – if you can get, if you can develop him as an instinctive runner where he can read his keys and where he can read his blocks to know how to hit his holes, I think he's going to be really special. If he never develops in that area, and he's so raw right now, if he never develops in that area, I think he can still be a useful third-down gadget-type weapon guy that you can line up in the slot, out wide, uh, trick formations, jet sweeps, that type of thing, and use as a kick returner because that's what he did a little bit at Memphis too. That's the kind of player he's going to be. So before I compare him to Christian McCaffrey or anybody, Alvin Kamara, whatever, I've just got to see him tackle football in the NFL being able to read his keys and his lanes and his cuts and all that stuff before we even compare him and think, oh, this guy's going to be a stud on the NFL level. He's just—he's a raw athlete that hasn't really had a chance to really refine his game at either the receiver or the running back position. So you're drafting him based on his skill set and hoping your coaching staff can unearth his ceiling, which I would think would be one of the highest ceilings of any running back in this class. And I liked what I saw in film, but you mentioned the reading keys. That definitely looks like that's something that's still pretty new to him at that running back position. And in the NFL, you better be able to read your blocks or you're going to get blown up a lot in the backfield. And so he's got a long road ahead of him. But if he's able to pick things up quickly, there's no question he's an explosive athlete. Now, let's get to that first-round pick. You know, a lot of people out there, me included, believe Chase Young was the best player in this draft class. Not Joe Burrow. Obviously, the Bengals needed to get their quarterback. But in my opinion, Chase Young, the best player in this draft class, we saw what Bosa did going to the 49ers right away, gets nine sacks for San Francisco's NFC champion. And I think Young can have the same type of impact right away for the Washington Redskins. What do you think are realistic expectations for him playing in Ron Rivera's defense right away for Washington? So I, I definitely feel better about him coming to Washington at the time that he's coming for two reasons. One, you just mentioned Ron Rivera, and not only Ron Rivera, but Jack Del Rio, who Seahawks fans are obviously going to know the name from being head coach 
um, both in Jacksonville and more recently in Oakland, and then a defensive coordinator with the Panthers a long time ago. And, you know, of course, having a lot of success with Von Miller, a former number two overall pick, and the Denver Broncos defense. So, you know, I, I feel a lot better about Chase Young coming into this program, this system now with those two guys in charge, as opposed to Jay Gruden and Greg Minuski, who was the defensive coordinator uh, here. And even though Jim Tom Sula is a well, well, well regarded defensive line coach, you know, I mean, defensive line coach has to be subservient, if you will, to the defensive coordinator, even though they were tight, you know, you can't always do what you want. So I feel better about that. Number one, number two, and, you know, th this is something that I always look at, Corbin, and, and every team is a little bit different, but I'll compare it to how it was for the Legion of Boom, right? When you had Sherman and you had Earl Thomas and you had Cam Chancellor and you had – Brandon you know, Browner. You, yeah, Browner, right, exactly. Brandon Browner. There you go. Uh, that, was the, that was the name that I was thinking. But when you add one guy to a, a really good mix all – already that one guy can be way better than he probably even is because of the talent surrounding him in his individual position area or unit area right um not to say that cam chancellor was only good because of richard sherman and because of brent that, that's not what i'm saying so what what i what i'm trying to translate it and kind of connect the seahawks audience and the redskins audience is Chase Young walks into a group, a defensive line, that's A, going from a 3-4 to a 4-3, but has Jonathan Allen, former first-round pick. Deron Payne, number 13 overall pick a couple of years ago. Ryan Kerrigan, a long time ago, first-round pick. Montez Sweat, first-round pick last year. Matt Ioannidis, who nobody across the NFL knows, he might be their best pass rusher at, up until Chase Young gets here. He was a fifth-round pick out of Temple in 2015. So when he goes into that group – how, if you're an opposing offense, do you zero in on Chase Young? How do you game plan? I mean, you can game plan, but you can't double and, and team him and chip him and triple team him like teams try and take out one weapon because if you do that, you're going to get killed on the other side or you're going to get killed up the middle. So that's what the really interesting fit for me is with Chase Young and the Redskins. I think it's a perfect, perfect situation for him to walk into because he doesn't have to do it all by himself. Let's look forward to this 2020 season because they've got Chase Young now. As you mentioned, he's landing in an ideal spot with all the talent they've got in that defensive line already. That is clearly the biggest strength for this football team now. They've got a young quarterback that they're hoping takes that next step, might have some veterans that can come in and push him. They've added some players in free agency like Sean Davis coming over from the Steelers, Kendall Fuller coming back to Washington. What, in your opinion – is a best-case scenario for Ron Rivera in his, in his first season, and what would be the worst-case scenario for him coming to D.C.? You know, I think best-case scenario, if I'm being honest, would be 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, You know, they've traded away two of their best players, one to the Seattle Seahawks. You know, at what was already a need position – for Quentin Dunbar, quite honestly, to carry on like a little baby and to force his way out of Washington, whether you you know whether people agree with that or not, he did, uh, and they just got tired of the act and they got rid of one of their best players. At already what what was a a weak or need position in corner. And then they traded their left tackle for essentially the same type of thing, right? Their perennial Pro Bowl left tackle who didn't play at all last year. So I mean, this team is not only, yeah, sure, they added Chase Young and some interesting gadget weapons in the draft. They didn't go hard and heavy and add a big fish in free agency. Um, 
and, and again, they've lost a couple of their best weapons. So I, I would say this, to me, especially with the questions about Dwayne or at the quarterback position in general, I would say best case scenario, if they get to eight and eight, that would probably be a really good first step. Corbin, if they're four and 12, that wouldn't surprise me. I think they're better than four and 12. I think they're between a six and an eight win team. And that's a pretty large window there in, in the NFL. But I really think they're closer to eight and eight than they are to two and 14 or three and 13 as they were last year. It really will come down to the quarterback play as it always does in the league. Are they going to get that next step from Haskins or is Alex Smith going to come back in? Cam Newton going to come in off the free agent market and play quarterback. That's clearly the biggest what if for this Redskins team in year one for Ron Rivera. When we come back in the third quarter, you and I are going to flip gears here a little bit. Look a little bit more at the Seahawks gearing up for this matchup coming up in week 15 between the Redskins and the Seahawks. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Podcast Network crossover series. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line, or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former SportsCenter anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, this is Crossover Week right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejoining us is Corbin Smith, host of Locked On Seahawks. You can also check him out, Seahawks Maven, uh, part of SI.com uh, for all of his great coverage there. And, and Corbin, uh, obviously, we spend a lot of time on the Redskins and some about the challenges and the issues that the NFL is facing. And we don't even know if we're going to have training camp and all that stuff. But we know this, when the, when the Seahawks get under center, and when the Seahawks take the field, you can count on two things pretty much at this point, right? I mean, people say death and taxes in real life, but you can count on two things, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And let's start with Russell Wilson because 128 games and 128 games played. Mr. Durable, no matter how many times he got sacked early in his career, no matter how much he runs around and he makes Houdini-type plays, the dude just keeps on coming and coming, and he never, ever misses a game. I'm so envious. I'm so jealous of you guys having Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's just phenomenal, the durability standpoint and what he does on the field. It's interesting because I think now the national narrative has changed quite a bit around him. I think he is viewed as a top three, top five quarterback in most circles, and yet it still feels like at times he's underrated or underappreciated, and some of it's been the offense that the Seahawks run. They love to run the football, and that takes the football out of Wilson's hands, but if you talk to Russell Wilson about it, he values the run game just as much as the team does. He's bought in on that. 
He wants guys behind him that can run the football, open up that play-action passing game. I do think going into this season, and, and there were some reports out there here in the last few days, Omar Ruiz of NFL Network was pointing this out, that it looks like the Seahawks may be leaning towards more of an up-tempo attack in 2020, which really would cater well to Russell Wilson's strengths. And as the 12s out there love to say, allows him to cook a little bit more on the field. Let, let him throw the football, let him make some magic. And he did that so many times last year. There were a number of games in the second half they were losing, and then they found ways to win because of Russell Wilson. So I look at some of the moves they've made this free agent period and in the draft, and it indicates to me they are leaning towards more pass protection, friendly offensive linemen, and a more up-tempo attack this year, which means Russell Wilson has a chance to really put up some gaudy numbers in 2020. And you bring up the up-tempo attack, which is something that, like I always suggested under Jay Gruden, whatever, you know, especially like when Kirk Cousins was the quarterback here and even Alex Smith in his first year, like why not go more up-tempo by design? Not necessarily by necessity, i.e. last, you know, two-minute offense, four-minute offense, uh, when you're trailing, that type of thing, but like by design, second series of a game, first quarter, take a team by surprise and, and leave them huffing and puffing and come out and you don't even have to do the whole drive but you can do that with a guy like Russell Wilson who's been in the system who knows everything about being the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks who Pete Carroll that type of thing by tempo by design when you want to dictate as opposed to it being dictated to you by game and score yeah, I've always wondered why the Seahawks didn't use a little bit more up-tempo attack away from just the two-minute drill just because of how good Russell Wilson is at orchestrating that. And when he gets up to the line of scrimmage quick, and, and this isn't to say they get a snap off every 10 seconds, but just mm -hmm. the ability to get up to the line of scrimmage and then dictate things to the defense. I am running the plays, and right. I'm going to leave you a little bit empty-handed here with yep. the inability to make adjustments. And Russell Wilson's been so good at that. But it kind of goes against what, what Pete Carroll wants to do as the coach. Pete Carroll wants that ground-and-pound attack where he can eat up clock, he can control possession. So those two things kind of go against one another. And it does look like maybe, just maybe, Pete Carroll's looking to the team now and saying, okay, we've got a quarterback in the prime of his career he got us to the division around last season, but we came up short again. We started slow. Maybe we can avoid those slow starts by, even if we just sprinkle it in a little bit, more of an up-tempo attack that really caters his strengths, keep the defense on its heels, and allows us to maybe get some leads in the first half. Pete Carroll's famous for saying, you can't win in the first quarter, can't win in the second you most certainly can if you go out and put a bunch of points on the board. And there's a lot of fans out there that have argued about that in recent seasons. Go let Russell Wilson get the points for you so that you can get the advantage early and then you can lean on the ground game. I can talk about Russell Wilson all day long if you let me. I mean, he's got Richmond, Virginia roots. Uh, the Redskins were prepared from what I understand from uh, Mike Shanahan, you know, basically made it known to me that they were going to draft him in the fourth round instead of Kirk Cousins if the Seahawks did not select him in the middle part of the third round in, two, in 2012, even after, again, drafting Robert Griffin III. Uh, they loved, they loved Russell Wilson, and you see why, obviously, with how his career has turned out. Tell me about 
the weapons. I mean, obviously, you know, he's been challenged to find that big home run hitter, but last year it seemed like they really took a big leap towards that in terms of the vertical passing game and in terms of the physical, not the physical passing game, uh, but, you know, a lot of those cross- – in, with Metcalf, like it seems like he can do a little bit of everything from afar. I mean, like he'll run those those tough intermediate routes, but also if you get him, give him a little space off a of jam coverage, he can probably beat you uh, with some of his size, his frame, and his handwork uh, off the line of scrimmage. Is that a fair assessment or 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 not? So I think it's kind of a mid ground when you're talking about the route running stuff because going into the draft, everybody was saying. DK Metcalf is a one-trick pony. He's right. only going to run verticals downfield or deep posts, and that's not true. Ole Miss just basically asked him to do that because right. he's really, really good at those one or two routes, and it's difficult to defend somebody. They list him 6'3", 228. Uh, I think he's bigger than that. Uh, if you stand next to him in the locker room, he's a big guy, and he runs like a deer, so obviously he's going to be a vertical threat. He's very good at that. It's a great trick to have, even in the NFL, but I do think he's a better route runner than advertised. He can run those short to intermediate routes. He can break some tackles off him. He's not going to be a route running savant. This is not a guy that's going to go out there and by default get open because he is an elite route runner, but he's not shabby at it either. And with his physical traits and his size, his speed, that's okay. He, he doesn't have to go out there and look like, He's Keenan Allen of the Chargers, for example. That's one of the best route runners in football. He doesn't have to be that because of his physical gifts, and he's just such a matchup nightmare. So him playing all 16 games, putting up 900 receiving yards last year, the expectations now are through the roof. People expect this kid to become not just a star, but a superstar in Seattle. And one guy that might be able to help him is a guy that the Redskins were very much interested in trying to lure and recruit. And the Seahawks won this battle is Greg Olson. How much do you think that will have an impact on helping DK and just the rest of the offense and Russell Wilson specifically, especially in the red zone, if, if Olson can stay healthy, which I guess is the big question. Yeah, that'll be my first caveat. I've talked about this with a few of the other hosts that Greg Olson is still a fantastic player. It's just been health issues, but Pete Carroll made it clear way back at the combine that shortly after they'd signed him that his foot problems are behind him. The second injury that he had, it just wasn't fully healed from the year before. So they believe he's past that. He was able to play in all but two games last year, did have a concussion, but played in 14 games, still over 50 receptions with Kyle Allen and Will Greer mainly playing quarterback. So he's going to get an upgrade there, catching passes from Russell Wilson. And you look at the rest of the receivers they've got, I think the Philip Dorsett move is getting overlooked a little bit just because the scheme fit is so good. Looking at the speed that he brings to the table, no offense to Tom Brady, who's probably the best quarterback ever, but he, the last few years, has struggled getting those deep balls downfield. Russell Wilson is going to have no problem with that. He's probably looking his lips about the idea. I've already got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Now i got another guy that can run a 4-3-3 that has really good hands. He doesn't drop passes. He just he hasn't been a great route runner in the NFL. His numbers haven't been great, but I think if he's going to break out, this is the system with all the guys around him. You add Greg Olson, Will Disley coming back from injury. Both those guys are capable receivers. If they can just keep those guys on the field, this has a chance to be one of the two or three best offenses in the league, especially if they let Russell Wilson air it out a little bit more and play to their best player at his strengths. Doing a little crossover special this week here on Locked On Podcast Network. 
Locked on Redskins, Locked on Seahawks, Corbin Smith uh, with us. Of course, make sure you check him out. Uh, not only Locked on Seahawks, but SI uh, and SI.com, Seahawks Maven. Uh, and I'm, you can check me out, RedskinsReport.com, part of SI.com as well. Um, so let's flip the script to the defense before, you know, because that's been the hallmark of Pete Carroll and the Seahawks and, and the 12s for so long. And we have this gigantic question of Jadavion Clowney, who's still not signed back, who the Seahawks apparently still are interested in, but that smells like, well, we're interested in at our price, not at your price still. And there's still a wide enough gap is what would be your sense percentage-wise, I guess, to make it easy on whether Jadavion Clowney is back with the Seahawks? So at this point, I'm going to say 15%. I'm not going to completely rule it out. Just be, And here's the main reason I'm not going to. It's been such a bizarre offseason with yep. the COVID stuff and still not being able to get a physical. And the Seahawks do have some cap space, not as much as what fans think they do because you've got rookie wages and IR mm-hmm. and they've got some injury settlements they're going to have to pay out for some of the players they've cut. So it's not 21, it's not 16 million or anything like that. It's significantly less than that. But they do have the ability to open up some cap space, cutting a few guys that have non-guaranteed contracts if they were able to get Clowney to accept a lower offer, which at this point – they're not going to be giving him the best offer they did from early on, even before free agency. That's not going to happen. So that's the main reason that I'm still skeptical anything's going to happen here. I, I think another team is going to throw a little more money out there at some point, and it's going to be the right fit for him financially, and he's going to take that offer. So I won't rule out Seattle. I don't think the door's been closed, but I think it's propped open barely at this point. And I wouldn't rule anything out just given circumstances. I just – I just find it hard to believe that Jadavion Clowney is going to be wearing a Seahawks uniform next season. I think Everson Griffin is probably a better chance because it's a little cheaper. And quite frankly, he's been more productive getting after the quarterback. Um, I'm going to ask one more, and then I'm going to let you take it home from there. Um, obviously, the Seahawks add Quinton Dunbar, former Redskin corner, who Redskins fans are more than familiar with and very frustrated with at this point after being such a great feel-good story for an organization that doesn't have many feel-goods, I can tell you uh, that much. But besides Dunbar, uh, obviously, they had a first-round pick that nobody really knows a whole lot about nationally. Tell me a little bit about what makes this defense, what the Seahawks fans and, and, and what the Seahawks culture has been about. Is it is it somewhat close or is it is it clowny dependent is it way off of what we're what we've kind of become used to how would you define it so i don't think this defense is 2012 2013 2014 that area i don't think it's close to being the caliber that was a historically dominant defense mm-hmm. though i do think this unit has a chance with clowny or without clowny to be better than last year with some of the additions they've made. I think Dunbar is an outstanding schematic fit. He's that long athletic corner that's really good at reading routes, being a former Mm -hmm. receiver. He can press. He can maybe play a little bit of that big nickel role if they wanted to have him and Trey Flowers on the field together with Shaquille Griffin. It gives them some flexibility. And so I think you have him, you have Quandre Diggs coming in for a full season after trading for him at the deadline last year. They were really missing Earl Thomas back there. He came in and brought stability to that secondary, a really good scheme fit there as well. So I think the secondary is going to be much improved. You've still got Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, probably transitioning to strong side linebacker, getting to be an older player, but still a very effective one. Had career high in tackles last year. So Mm -hmm. you can 
put in your first round pick Jordan Brooks at the weak side spot, get those three on the field, get the young guy playing and still have KJ Wright playing a big role. The big key is going to be, can they rush the passer? And I do think, even though they haven't made the splashy moves everybody was hoping for, including re-signing Clowney, I think Bruce Irvin can get after the quarterback. He did in Carolina last year. He's had three, three seasons with eight sacks or more. Benson Mayoya had seven sacks last year for the Raiders in a situational role. He can get after the quarterback. They drafted two kids in Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson that have a lot of upside, could be good scheme fits. And Jaron Reed was brought back, and they're hoping he bounces back after a rough season. So there's a lot of what-ifs on that front line. If they're able to get consistency from that group, the rookies can contribute a little bit. Rasheen Green takes another step forward. Then I think they automatically are going to have a better pass rush than they did last year. And I think the other two units, specifically the secondary, I think you can certainly see on paper that it's going to be much more talented and have a lot more continuity than last year. Yeah, you guys are going to love Dunbar. As long as his head is squared on straight and he's not frustrated and angry about the and contract. And he's healthy. Yeah, and, and if he's healthy, right. It, you know, so there's two big question marks there, right? It's not a talent. It's not a scheme fit like you and I have talked about in the past and like you just mentioned now. It's A, can he stay on the field? And B, how are they going to deal with the contract? So, I, you know, and that's going to be an interesting situation for you guys to watch out for because obviously that's what got him – you know, a one-way ticket to Seattle out of here. It'll be really interesting to see Dunbar versus his former team when we get to week 15 in Landover. He's going to be making a homecoming of sorts <laughs> coming back to Landover to play against his former team. And uh, we've had some doozies there in Washington, that playoff game back in 2012. Uh, they had another Monday night game a few years later that was close till the fourth quarter and Seattle pulled away a little bit late. I think it was Percy Harvin's last game with the Seahawks, actually, now that I'm remembering. So really it looking was a, forward I, It was to a that. Monday night game. I was there. I was there. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure that was Percy's last game. And yep. then uh, I don't know why they traded him necessarily, whether, you know, did he punch Golden Tate or whatever, you know, all those, all those different stories that were out there. But it's been a blast, Chris. I always enjoy chatting football and talking Redskins Seahawks with you. Absolutely, Corbin. Always my pleasure to be with you. And uh, thanks to every, you know, both of our audience locked on Redskins, locked on Seahawks. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed a lot of good information, plus about the, you know, the issues with the NFL. And hopefully we'll have football at some point to talk about, like real football on the field, on the grass, uh, and in stadiums. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks to Corbin Smith, locked on Seahawks. Make sure you check him out uh, wherever you download the Locked on Redskins podcast and as well, si.com. Seahawks Maven. I wanted to remind you guys right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA. That's important. Blinkist.com slash NBA to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. Also want to send a shout out to the guys from Locked On NFL Draft. Locked On NFL Draft and Solak. Uh, and as well, Trevor Sikama. They had me on their most recent episode. You can check it out again wherever you download the Locked on Redskins podcast. Go check out Locked on NFL Draft with uh, Ben Solek and Trevor Sekema and as well the Draft Dudes podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.